Welcome to Halftime Chat with me, Sylvan Gassi, and the change room made just for you by Bright Rock. I'm on the road in this episode, trekking all the way to Stellenbosch to speak to Blitzbox legend Kyle Brown. Now, just a warning. This is not a conversation about how we won the Sevens World Series or who my best teammate was. Kyle goes deep, fast in this candid chat about life after rugby, identity, discipline, and making most of the new opportunities. This chat could have gone on for two or three hours. Kyle Brown, how are you doing, my friend? Hello. How are you? It's, uh, it's good to be here. So listen, yeah, I, I need to rattle off some of your accolades. A former Blitzball captain three-time World Series titles, 69 tournaments played, 347 matches, 89 tries, gold at the Commonwealth 2014, bronze at the 2016 Olympics. How are you feeling, brother? Not such a bad career? Feeling unemployed. Unemployed. <laughs> like most of the country. Like most of the like country. Like a high percentage of the country. Yeah. So for, for me, Kyle, I've known you for many, many years. I've watched you, and I think being part of the whole Sevens establishment I've always realized that you can't be a bad person and be a, ba- a sevens player. <laughs> it's mutually exclusive. Huh? Yes, definitely. Yeah. And we've had this conversation before. How do you guys get it right? All the guys are just good people. So when you, when you talk about uh, being part of the sevens setup, I actually had a conversation with a friend this weekend. We went on a, like a four-hour cycle and we were just chatting. And, uh, and I said, you know, the best, one of the best decisions of my life was to stay at the sevens. Mm. So, you know, you get to like 24, 25 and you get itchy feet. And I wonder if I can crack it at Super Rugby and this and that. I should give it a go. And at the time, I think I was probably a year into captaincy. And then the option arises and you think, well, you can go hack it out on a bench in Super Rugby and try to prove yourself again. Or you can continue to captain the country at a sport that's growing. And I, genuinely, the best decision of my life so far was to stay in sevens rugby. Mm-hmm. Aside from the personal life of marrying my wife, because that's the best decision by far. Wow. <laughs> if you were listening, Miss Brown, wow. That's just for you there. It's a shout out for yeah. you. Um, that, that was, um, for me, number one, was staying at the sevens rugby. And, and you know where a big part of it stemmed from? First season I played, so I had a couple mates and I got really close to them. And then after we won that first World Series, a couple of them bug it off because that's what sevens was about back in the day it was a stepping stone it was come in make your name get a reputation then then find a contract somewhere else and so much of it inside of me was going like this is nonsense this is a this is good value this is high prestige at this place but nobody we didn't see it we didn't feel it at the time so so what changed because this is all about change well i think i think what happened was there were a handful of people so top of my head um cecil Franco, Chris Dry, Frankie Horn, especially, um, and, and myself, the guys that decided to make Sevens their career. That was it. That was the change. That was no, we're not going to look anywhere else. We're going to play Sevens rugby. We're going to take this setup, and along with Paul True at the time, who had laid the foundation, like full-on foundation for what we had, what we've grown into. I'm glad you. I'm glad you mentioned his name. Yeah, uh, incredible in, in implementing what this place is all about. You know. Um, was to take this setup and move it to a different place, to, to change this into something that was really, really special. And I, I've often said to people, last 10 years of Sevens Rugby will be the fastest and best growing period of Sevens Rugby you'll ever see in your life. And I was so stoked to be part of that kind of time. So when you guys did all of that, did it change? Did the money start coming in? Did the sponsors start coming in? Did the people supporting the sports start coming in? So, I mean, money is one thing, um, but support and sponsorship and love for the brand changed dramatically. Uh, <laughs> Dramatically. English. Drastically, dramatically. Yeah. Um, 
And, and that's where I think one of the fundamental shifts was that people wanted to be uh, aligned with our brand. That was a big, big deal for us because for a long time it was, uh, you know, it's a kind of a smaller preseason sport and, you know, you guys can, if you're quick and you want to toss the ball around, then go play sevens. But it grew into a sport that people started to take professionally. They decided this is a career path for me. And from and on all of what you were speaking about now, that all stems from, number one, being a great set of individuals, mm -hmm. getting decent results on the field. And then people look at it and they go, oh, okay, well, that's something that we want to be associated with. And then the sponsors started to get on board. Then we have good relationships with the sponsors. And slowly but surely, the money has ticked up well. Um, I think at the top end of it, you could probably... Uh, make a decent career out of it. It's not, it's not money to say, like, you know, I'm, I'm retiring at the end of this and I'll mm. sit back and I'll enjoy. Um, it is a great platform, number one, for meeting incredible people. We traveled to, just in the season alone, to nine amazing destinations around the world and then 10, including Cape Town. And then pre-season tournaments, there's Rome. We've played in Moscow before. I played Germany. In Germany. We, uh, the guys were in Oktoberfest now. They're going... Manchester. Manchester's next. Uh, there's, there's a tournament up in Kenya. Um, and I think a fair bit of education needs to be done on how to network and how to leverage a network. But mm. once that's done, there's so much quality out there. I mean, I always tell people's story in Dubai, we go to the Donata hospitality suite. And undercover, you don't have a clue what Donata's all about. They're the logistics company behind Emirates. You look out the plane at Dubai airport and there's Donata trucks and mm. vans and everything that's done to make sure that Emirates mm. is running at the airport, it's Donata. Mm. We sit with the CEO, the COO, and we casually chat and we move on, you know. Oh, you know, there's some of the guys, some of the guys will even think, well, thank goodness this is all done. Let's go back to the change room now. Yeah. There's an opportunity to meet some mm. of the, the, one of the more powerful business people in the world mm. at these kind of events. But if we don't know how to mm. identify that situation mm. and how to leverage that situation, it doesn't actually mean anything at the end of the day. I spend a lot of time with the 15 boys. Do you yeah. think the 15 boys are better at that networking game? Or do they have more opportunities? Because I do spend a lot of time with them. And after they retire, a lot of them get much bigger opportunities than a lot of the sevens boys. Why is that? Well, it might be profile. I think mm. the, the profile is instantly elevated when you're in the, the Springboks, uh, Springbok 15 setup. But I, I would, there's probably more opportunities. I, I reckon there's definitely more opportunities. I understand that. But it's not, it's not that the sevens guys are short of opportunities. Mm. We just have to position ourselves well enough. For me, a big thing comes in uh, about employability. Mm. So for, for me, athletes, and I, and I say athletes because it's not just rugby players, are fundamentally unemployable. Mm. You know, the way that they are, the, their skills and their qualities are incredibly desirable, mm. but the periphery stuff, everything else that you need to become a, a productive employer at a company is missing. Mm. So work experience is missing. A lot of the time, the technical skills missing, which can be learned. That's quite easy. How do you change it? It's all about change. How can we change? How can change? We so uh, there's, there's going to be, a, there needs to be a massive, massive shift in this. And I think if, if we're looking at the stats of players that are retiring, and this is, the, this is where I sit right now, is a space that so I'm four or five months out of, out of sport and with, a, with a, a bachelor's degree, with an honors degree, and I feel unemployable. Like I don't feel confident. So it might be self-doubt on my part, um, but I, I don't feel like I could go and I could be wholly productive until uh, six months down the line. And I want to make guys 
uh, employable to the point that they step off rugby and they step into a company and go, you know, this is where I can add value straight away. Mm. So either it's the, the change either comes in, creating a structure for people to do more of internship work. There's, I think there's also a societal shift or a, a cultural shift we need to make around internships. Mm. We, to, we need to understand the value in work experience mm. over money. You know, so if I give you 10,000 rand and work experience, mm. we need to understand in this day and age, work experience carries a lot of weight. What if you have people to feed, mouths to feed? You have two kids. You can't feed your kids and work experience. No, no, I, I understand that completely. So let's, let's find a happy medium then. So it's not going to be your dream job and sure. it's not going to be your dream salary. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's that, uh, and, and it's not just a sports thing. It's like, oh, um, I want to work for you. Oh, do you have any work experience? Um, no, this is my first job. Mm. Okay, well then come back to me on your work experience. So how the hell do I get work experience then? You know, somewhere you have to bite the bullet. Yeah, you know, and that's and that's where I think possibly rugby players or sports people, and predominantly rugby players, because they earn better than than most of the other sport athletes in our country. And I and I and I say that quite brazenly because I, I spend a lot of time with other athletes, hockey players, um, swimmers, uh, athletes, other athletes. And until you get to the very cream, you don't earn a lot of money. Mm. Golfers even, oh, wow, golf is such a prestigious sport. A, a very small percentage of, of, of athletes earn mm. uh, a livable salary and, yeah. an, and enough to actually save some money. And where I'm saying it's valuable for rugby players is that we've, sometimes we can actually earn enough money to put some away. Mm. And what I got explained to by, me by my financial guy was okay. we sat down and looked at our, my little savings account. Okay. And he says to me... Uh, Stop thinking of this as an investment thing now. What this is, this buys you time. So what you have saved up here is this, buy, this buys you time. So I don't have, I, ideally in my head, I don't want to have to dive at something. You know, I want to shop around a little bit. That's my, well, one of my biggest problems is not knowing what is out there. You know, I, I think media looks fantastic. Until I step into your shoes and I shadow you for a while and I go, Oh, hell no, I'm not working 18 hours yeah. days. Mm. You know, I'm not getting up at four in the morning so that I can do a 10-minute mm. shot here or something or just to get the perfect... Mm. It's not all that flash. Mm. You know, I think we have... And, and probably sportsmen and people that don't know what's behind the scenes in most jobs don't know operationally what happens. Mm. And what I'm saying with having a little bit of money saved up is it allows me to look around. Mm. It allows me, it affords me the opportunity to not have to dive at something, mm. not to be desperate for money. Mm. And that's what we need to try to avoid mm. because it's when you get desperate for money, you dive into a job you don't want. You mm. stay unhappy. You let, you're less of, you're already losing your identity sort of, you know, I mean, mm. that's also another topic altogether. We shouldn't place our identity in sport, but mm. most of us do. You're already losing that identity when you, you retire. You, you lose, you're losing your team. You know, the team that's always been around mm. you, this is where you belong. You're losing your purpose because your purpose at the mm. time was, I must play rugby, I must mm. entertain. Um, so many, many people and many people who will go from professional sports suffer from depression after yeah. they retire. Um, and it's quite, especially in rugby, it happens quite a lot because yeah. this team environment, especially sevens, this team environment you guys have is pretty ridiculous. And I yeah. think for me, I spent some time with the, the, the 15 boys recently and I said to Sia, I said, it's the closest I've ever seen you guys seem like the sevens boys. Yeah. The, the yeah. camaraderie, the closeness. So, okay, we've spoken about all the accolades, all the positives. So that, that's, a, that's a conversation, that's a broader conversation for the whole of South Africa. Agreed. You know what I mean? That, that, that comes in at a base level of understanding what everybody else is about, mm. you know, yeah. and, and, and just an ability to listen. You know, I think so often, especially in, in rugby, we have big, strong personalities that have a lot to say. Mm. We have a lot to say as sportsmen, and, and sometimes we have a bit of an inability to 
just stop for a second and listen and try and understand the person opposite from us. Mm. And I think that's what we've we've got pretty well done here at the sevens. What what we have done is that it's everybody is everybody's together. Mm. You know, we've we've found a way to get everybody moving in the same direction and at the same time to absolutely enjoy each other's company. Like a lot of people have said to us, they've seen us at airports, you know, you sit around delayed for two, three mm. hours. Nobody looks unhappy. Mm. Well, it's fine. It gives us time to sit and play cards and talk mm. a bit more, you know? No, I've seen you guys <laughs> at Dubai. I've seen you guys in Hong Kong. I've traveled with you guys a lot. Uh, and it's always, uh, you guys will, will stand and you'll greet and you'll say hi. you call someone by their name, captain, the coach, everyone will call people by their first name basis. It's incredible to watch. So we've spoken about all the positives. Yep. You've suffered a lot of injuries, surgeries. Yeah. Uh, you've pushed through two new, two new surgeries in two years, right? The last two seasons, yeah, yeah were both ACLs, seasons. which was uh, just poor timing. Really. So that's a like that's I think some of the hardest things to get over in rugby. Mm. What did you learn that helped you get through it? Uh, I, I think number one um, is oh I don't know if this is number one. Number one, number two, they can be interchangeable. Is that it's part of the game and you have to understand that. And when you put yourself on the on, on the field and you have got people diving at every funny angle at one of your joints that is vulnerable all the time, something's going to happen. So just accept that. And uh, uh, and then actually this is probably number one is your support network, mm. the people around you. Um, so I think a lot of the frustration and the depression around uh, uh, injury stems from not being involved and not being able to do what you want to do. Mm. The support network allows you to remember that that you are not rugby. Rugby is not you. Mm. Rugby is a part of you. And just because rugby is on hold for a while through injury – doesn't mean that you're on hold as a person. Mm. You know what I mean? I think we, we often get like, oh, I can't be who I want to be, you know, or, or who I should be. A rugby player is not, a great human is what you should be. A mm. rugby player is an, a, like an add-on to that. But when you have a, a, a support network that keeps constantly telling you or reminding you of what's important in life, mm. And your priorities sort of shift a little bit and rugby starts to slip down the priorities. It becomes more and more managed. But I was really lucky. Um, first ACL was uh, oh, the rehab on that. I think Ethan was born just after I got off crutches. Your son? Yeah. Ethan, my son, he's two and a half years old now. Yes, it must have been then. And the rehab was, it was fine, you know, because the bigger picture was Ethan, my son. So we sat down with, with Joe, Joe von Veik and Nadia at, uh, at Sassia, and he says to me, why are you doing this? You know, why do you want to rehab? So some guys, when they're young, it's, I want to get back on the field. I want to have a professional career for this long. My goal was, why do I want to do this? Because it's important to rehab properly. You need to know why you rehab, because rehabbing is a long, slow, lonely, boring process. And it's hard. It's not like, this is not why you played rugby. Rehab is not why you started to play rugby. Because you're not with your teammates. You're not doing anything high performance. You're not achieving anything. You're just getting back to zero, actually. Um, my goal was to run with my boy one day. You know what I mean? Like, if, if that's not, I, w I don't want to be uh, Ethan six years old and I can't keep up with him anymore. Yeah, you don't want Jean de Villiers knees. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Jean. Yeah, yeah, Jean. So, okay, here it is. So, when you, when you, you had a child while you were playing rugby, yeah. right? And then, obviously, you retired now. But what has changed between you as a rugby player and you now as a father who's retired and not playing rugby anymore? So, surprisingly, uh, days are a lot busier. <laughs> surprisingly, like, real life is real. Like really real. Like it's the one thing that I try to explain to guys is that you have to schedule your own day. That sounds like such a stupid mm. thing for, for a regular person. Mm. But I could literally get up, do nothing, and nothing would happen the entire day. Mm. 
you know? Whereas here, you get sent out a program on a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday is planned out for you. Mm -hmm. That's it. Every day, um, you're, you're to, the, to the minute your day is planned, even with the number of minutes that we're gonna be spending on that activity, at what intensity, that's how fine the detail is, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you get, you get away from this, and, and then this is where that support structure comes into play, and this is the, and not, maybe not your close family, but that transitional period support structure, a mentor or a business or something, because you actually have no idea what the real world entails. Mm. You don't, unless you've encountered it before. You know, it's, it's um, sportsmen are horrendous at email communication. Digital communication, they are useless. Mm. So yeah, like, I know. You know, know what I mean? All like, all of my friends who are sportsmen, it's difficult. <laughs> difficult. WhatsApp's you, difficult as well. You, you email them and they, they like email back with, oh, where bro, yeah, I'm, I'm good for that. Yeah. That's not going to fly in the business mm. world, you know? Like rocking up five minutes late for a meeting, a business meeting, means you lose the deal mm. or the job. In sports, it's like uh, maybe you get like a straffed up at the next mm. fines meeting or something like mm. that. It doesn't actually, mm. it's not a huge deal. Mm. But in the real world, these things are big deals. These are small etiquette things that, that pass you off as like, do you want this mm. or are you not really taking this too seriously? So it's been a very interesting period the last couple of months. And yes, I've learned a lot. So, but, but change has been great. Change has, well, been, change has been hard, but it will the, pay the off. The thought of change at the beginning I was like, excuse my French, but shitting myself. Mm -hmm. Like I was really, really nervous. And then as I entered the, the, the next couple of weeks, I realized that this is damn exciting. Like the mm -hmm. change for me has been incredibly exciting because mm -hmm. where, where I was talking about being a rugby player is you're a rugby player. Mm -hmm. In this real world, you can be whatever you want to be. Mm. You're not boxed in to be a sportsman. Like, for, for I've got to break out of this mold of mm. being a I need to change this perception. Mm. He's a sportsman. Mm. Not so smart. Then I, that's why most of the time I walk around with my glasses on. <laughs> I promise you, it's a small thing. People yeah. are like, oh, hey, bro. Yeah. Hey, it actually looks quite smart like yeah. that, you know? So much work needs to be done. Change perception, you know? Mm. Take the skills, take the good, take the value that you took from rugby mm. and move it and change and evolve and grow into something. Mm. So this change has been incredibly daunting, like really, really has, because it's like you said, it's leaving one of the most special places you'll see to, to find something else. But if you can find something excite, that excites you, truly excites you, then the change can be one of the best things that'll ever happen. Mm. I've said it to a couple of the guys that are still in that are, look, are probably gonna leave in the next other guys. You can obviously you can worry and everything like that, but I promise you this is the most exciting period of our lives. Mm. So if you are listening, there's a bit of an echo. We're at SAS, which is the most incredible facilities for for rugby players and it's athletes, 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 athletes. athletes. global athletes. athletes, global athletes. Let's try SAS. It's where they incredible, <laughs> incredible, worldly, godly athletes. Uh, so if you're hearing an echo, that is why. So again, who was your biggest influence? Um. I often get this question. It's very difficult to put it down to to an individual because I think so many different people have so many uh, path-changing moments along the way. So one for me would be Alan Zondach. He coached a rugby academy when I was in high school. I, I didn't go to Craven Week. I didn't, go to, I didn't even go to trials, bro. And he said to me, like, uh, I'm starting up a rugby academy. Um, I've identified you as one of the players that are on the periphery. Like, What school do you go to there? Sax. Ah, ah, the Kyle Brown, please, man. You didn't have to go anywhere special. You went to Sax. Below the mountain. Yeah. You to, you, they're, the, they're the foothills of Table I Mountain. I played water polo there. Big pool, big pool. Big pool. Yes, lots, big of, pool. lots of deep ends. Yes, very deep ends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, st I played water polo too, actually. Yes, yes. And, um, and he said, you come to the academy. And it was the first time somebody had showed, like, okay, well, you've got talent in rugby. So cool. So 
uh, Alan Zorner because he identified that I had some talent. Paul True, for numerous reasons. Like Before you carry on, I really feel like that man needs so much more credit. <laughs> and it irritates me tremendously. There's a lot of things happening. Yeah. I really feel like he needs so much more credit in what he's done for Sevens Rugby in this country. And I will always say it. I'm interviewing him later. I'm not just saying that yeah, because yeah, I'm... Sure. But I really think that he, did, he deserves so much credit. And the thing is, he's just so quiet unto himself. So he'll never tell you how great he is. Yeah, yeah. he's not going to be... Uh, Paul is abrasive in the way that he will stand true to his values, to mm. what he believes in. And that's what, I think that's what irks some people. Mm. And if you're not on board with that, then you probably shouldn't be working together, mm. you know, because he's an he's a incredibly strong personality. And when he believes in something, it's, that's what's going to be implemented. Mm. You know what I mean? And that's what we, we loved so much about the first couple of years. What I enjoyed so much was that he made me, discover so much more about myself you know you talk about capacity and ability far beyond what you think you are capable mm. of bro. like there's there were levels that you got pushed to and like and then you'll hear loads of stories that how oh, it's too far this too far that like i was never broken i never died mm. and i just came out stronger on the other side so what's wrong with that you know no great it's just, it reminds me of the year there's a kenyan doctor who performed eight successful surgeries successful and he wasn't a trained doctor. But they were all successful. Yeah. No one died. <laughs> so Paul, Paul's, uh, Paul's an incredible human being. He's, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he did some wonderful things for Sevens Rugby. Um, and he did incredible things for me. He obviously gave me my first shot. And I'll for, like, forever be indebted to that because yeah. I was able to be part of such an incredible setup. And then, of course, Neil. Like, Neil, Neil, Neil was Neil Powell, the current coach. Neil took over, I think, five or six years ago. Neil and I played together. So Neil, the only story Neil will tell of us playing together was that I took his place. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good story. It's a fun story. Uh, Neil, uh, in my first season, Neil broke his arm, I think, in, uh, in Adelaide. Mm. And I got my first start that weekend. Oh. And then we didn't play too much together okay. after that weekend. <laughs> um, but no, so, so what Neil brought in differently was... Uh, an incredible faith in human beings. So he would, as a person, he would believe in you. And he's grown immensely as a tactically astute coach. Like he's become a real student of the game. Um, but his ability to bring out the best in humans because of the faith he put in them mm. was second to none. So he's been a, for me, one of my closest mentors over the last couple of years. And we, we often people ask, you know, what was your relationship like with, with Neil? And the relationship was this we could discuss anything. Nothing was off limits. As long as everything was done respectably mm. and, uh, and within good reason, um, we, we could, as a captain, I could discuss anything with him. And that allowed me to do my job as better than anybody else could have ever allowed mm. it to happen. You know? So mm. he allowed me to grow and then also to have certain moments where he would say, step back a little here or look down this pathway and just as any good mentor would you know just those little bits of nudging not really pushing just a little bump in the right direction so i think for as far as coaches go i think those three did some some magic things in my life and uh, I'll, I'll remember all three of them for for their own specific reasons i think we could talk for hours um <laughs> but i just want to go on my last question is what does change transformation mean to you when I mean change transformation different uh, challenge anything what does it mean to you just a change transformation challenge breakthrough work uh, through. I, I think the first thing that comes to mind is growth mm. change is uh, for me is often growth um, I, I think like like I said the my, my the 
I'm in the biggest period of change in my life right now and it's I'm still nervous mm. but I've still got to maintain like a, a a sound mind about things and realize that the opportunities in this country are endless there are so many opportunities um, but that challenge just for me just leads to growth mm. at the end of the day there are there are ways to when a challenge approaches you to grow into that sector and and, and mm. face that challenge head-on or find ways around it mm. or find another avenue or pivot just grow just do something more and I think we often I've had this conversation with a couple of people lately I listen to Joe Rogan's podcast with Kevin mm. Hart mm. And after that, I sat down, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm not doing enough. Like I listen to those guys and I think how generally as people, we, we, we limit our capacity so much, man. Like we, we just take on a little bit. We're like, that's all I can do right now. Mm. But we can do so much more. And you listen to people like that. And obviously he's got a team around him, but he's still got so much on his plate, you know? Mm. And then one thing that came from a bunch of these different podcasts that I actually mentioned to somebody this morning is discipline equals freedom. Mm. You know, if you discipline with your time, with your routine, with your regime, your training regime, mm. it equals freedom, you mm. know, and that with that freedom allows, you're allowed to do a lot more. If you're lazy and sloppy with your time, you're going to be wasting time all over the place. You're less productive. Um, so this change period now, I'm like, I'm getting a lot of things into order. You know what I mean? And this, uh, this for me is creating a good solid base for being a good father, trying to make a positive change in this country or in my community first and hopefully grow to the country um hopefully affect change in sport also you know helping helping players um transition a bit better from from where i am right now mm. from this position of doubt and self-doubt and worry into a, a, a more stable uh productive member of society you know and that's that's ultimately what we're looking for isn't and, stability overrated um maybe for you for, for a lot of people they need that stability in their life you know they need a bit of that routine but routine doesn't mean that we have to limit ourselves routine just means that we know what's going to happen mm. where and we can plan better for it some people need that for planning mm. some people are they circle I, I struggle to live a little spur of the moment I don't like mm. I don't mind it because you, you should be you, you obviously you need to be adaptable you need to you need to be able to change and work on the fly but for me that planning allows me to if I schedule a day should I get a lot more done in that day mm. whereas if I phone you up hey have you got an hour here then I burn an hour waiting mm. for you to get here then we get across there so um that you know all of those things I was talking about those where those that's where my change lies right now and and change is allowing me to discover so much more about myself mm. I mean I said to somebody I tried to plan for life after rugby like 18 months before and I had I was more productive in the first six weeks after retirement than I was in the last 18 months mm. because there's no threat if there's a little bit of like a, there's no money coming in this month what are you doing to mm. to to change that you know, there is more productivity, there is more innovation, there is more, a little bit more risk taking, you know. Mm. So change is, you have literally caught me, I don't know if this was on purpose, you've caught me in the biggest period of change in my life at the moment. So um, it's, it's, like I said earlier, for me, daunting, but super exciting. It's you are the first interview I've done where I have not looked at any of my questions. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you pretty much captain this interview. And I was just a bystander, you bastard. Thank you, Carl. It's a pleasure and a privilege, my friend. Thanks, friend. And that was Halftime Chat with me, Sir Nyesi, in the change room made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs match life insurance that changes as your life changes. For more episodes, subscribe to In the Change Room on Iona FM, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen.